Hi there, and welcome to a special edition of the WordPrint Podcast. This is the WordPrint's DC Universe Podcast, where myself, Robert Kujowski, and Bassam Cato will be talking about three different shows that uh, all came from the DC Universe. Stargirl, Doom Patrol, and Harley Quinn. All three of which we each covered in different ways, shapes, or forms, with Stargirl and Doom Patrol having just wrapped up their season finales. So yeah, this is going to be the three of us just talking about DC Universe, its potential future, and really just how grateful we were and being able to cover everything that they provided for us. So um, yeah, uh, hope you guys enjoy. Take care. Welcome to the Workbrand Podcast. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and theworkbrand.com. Salutations, my name is Robert Kajowski. I'm a writer at theworkprint.com. I am flanked by two great guests. Hi, I'm uh, Christian Angelus. I'm also a writer and the normal podcast host for the WordPrint. Hi, I'm Bassam Cato. I'm also a writer at the WordPrint, and I don't do podcasts for the show. <laughs> I, li- I like how you do, like, I do podcasts and I don't do podcasts. Uh, so we'll be talking about three DC shows today, and we're going to start off with Stargirl. Uh, now, Christian, you've covered extensively Stargirl. Yes. Uh, and I've read some of the articles that you do a bang-up job. Thank you. And I, I have a few questions. We're going to do this in like a three-question format uh, per show. Uh, the first question is, Courtney and Pat, Stargirl and Stripe, how do you feel about their journey this season? And what did you like uh, versus what didn't you like about them the most? So, yeah, uh, starting off the bat with the main two characters, Courtney and Pat, Stargirl and Stripe, uh, Courtney is very homely in the sense that she's kind of this girl who is very cheerful but, like, a fish out of water. Like, we've seen the story done a hundred times, and we mm-hmm. know how this normally goes. But what I really like about the show is even though we've seen the cliches, uh, I think this is what it does really well, uh, even though we know what's going to happen, it's like, oh, she's going to become special, and they're going to go on this journey, and then, you know, uh, she'll figure herself out at the end. Um, the show does it in a refreshing way where I don't mind it as much. Uh, so for Courtney, she's kind of the almost like Peter Parker-esque, mm. uh, I'm out of like nowhere, new to this scene, figuring out high school, figuring out life, and then f- discovers her special abilities. Gets chosen by the staff and stuff. So I, I really mm. dug that, and I liked how she was kind of the, the heart of the series, that everything kind of revolved around her. Even though she wasn't the strongest character, to be honest. She was kind of, she suffers a little bit of that, uh, of that lead character, every man, or every woman, every girl yeah. <laughs> role. Um, as for Pat... Uh, I loved Pat in the sense that he's a really nice, noble guy. But the, a lot of the season was kind of him being like second fiddle to everyone. He, he, his whole career is as a sidekick, as uh, as the original Starman sidekick. So like, it's weird in the sense that you kind of want to cheer for him and stuff, and you feel you feel a little bit bad for him because he's a very beta male. But that's okay because mm. towards the end, especially uh, the season finale, he he gets full circle. He gets uh, kind of he, he proves himself that he he's not only. Uh, able to be a superhero uh but he's able to do it on his own like in his own way uh, mm. without powers without anything but his wits and his experience his wisdom he's kind of the the obi-wan kenobi if that makes any sense so uh, like, that makes uh, perfect sense like the mentor yeah like yeah. Good yeah. yeah uh did you want to add something Basan? yeah why not <laughs> so it's a it's a pretty cool dynamic 
I like the two of them a lot. I think that Courtney, for a while, had to grow on me because since she's a high school girl, it kind of fell through a lot of like the, oh, I'm a high school girl. I don't like, like, I'm going to be kind of rebellious. But it was, I felt like they had trouble originally kind of balancing the I'm the new girl, fish out of water vibe, but also I'm like a popular ish. They tried. They tried selling her as like not being popular, mm-hmm. but the people they put her around made her feel like. It, I felt like she didn't really fit into one group or the other. I felt yeah. like the things they gave her and the attributes they gave her almost worked against her being like this outcast character. Mm. It was kind of the same vibe. So did you guys ever watch the Amazing Spider-Man, the really yeah. bad movie? Yes. <laughs> so. In the beginning, I kind of felt like it was the same vibe they were trying to go for with Andrew Garfield. It's like, oh, this oh, okay. guy's a yeah, loner. Yeah. He's a skateboarder. He's kind of cool, but yeah. he's not cool. So yeah. I felt like Courtney was kind of stuck in that you mean, for a bit. She, you mean she kind of like toes the line a little bit? Of yeah. Kind of like, because Peter Parker generally is supposed to be just like that studious, bookish, nerdy kid. Yeah. Uh, and when he transforms into Spider-Man, he's like cool as shit. Uh, but if you tow the line, that's kind of you make an interesting point because I think when you tow the line, it's kind of like, do you believe the character is an outcast or do you not? Do you think that I mean they're more inclusive? They're into the, they're in the fold of just their surroundings themselves. Yeah, so. it's, it's a bit of a, it's like I think the show definitely built off it and it paid off towards the end. So mm. there was a lot of things where. The consistent thing is that she was trying to find her purpose, her like mm-hmm. place, her role. Yeah. So even though it was kind of there being next to Pat, like Pat was trying to was trying to guide her, but she kept trying to do things her own way. And then over time, you kind of realize that you, you start realizing the real reasons why she's doing the things like the real purpose of her forming the JLA. It's because like she's trying to fill this gap in her mind. She's trying to fill this like missing element to her life. And then mm. that's then when like the staff picks her in the beginning and like when she starts kind of settling in, you, she starts being more purpose driven and she like it's she's more interesting to watch. She is, and I, I feel like a lot of that purpose is like daddy issues because yeah. like towards the back mm. end they could cover it really well, and uh, and it's it, I think that's the, really the beauty of their journey together, Pat and uh, and Courtney. Um, Courtney, you know, she's chosen by the staff because she thinks she's Star Girl's or Star Man's daughter, and she she takes this whole. You know, I'm the, the legacy of uh, of this of this dad or of this superhero, and so she becomes this amazing you know hero herself. Which is odd because like she's not a weird kid. Like I, I completely agree with Basam. Like she's a cheerleader who like mm. does gymnastics and stuff like that. Like these were all characteristic traits that would make her a popular girl normally, but yeah. because she moves into this near town and doesn't really fit in because they say that she doesn't fit in, mm-hmm. despite having the characteristics of somebody who would be normally popular. Um, it's a little jarring, and I, I completely agree with the uh, Amazing Spider-Man reference. Uh, but um, what I like about Courtney and Pat is, even though she discovers, oh, I'm not Starman's daughter, I'm just a random girl who the staff chose, uh, it kind of leads her to reevaluate herself and then kind of uh, learn in the end that life lesson of, it doesn't really matter who you were born to, like, it's the heroes are the ones who choose to be heroes. Yeah, and, that's true. Uh, yeah, and so like it uh, with that knowledge of like getting over that you know weird obsession that she was having, um, she realizes the person who has been there for her, who her real dad is, which is Pat, because he's been the men- wise mentor, but the person who's also given her space when she needed it. And you're right, like he's been 
trying to train her to be the proper superhero. She's been doing her own thing. But because he was a respectful dad, like, that's kind of the relationship. And they, it grows to the point where they've kind of – their full journey is they've officially become father and daughter towards the end, which is really cool. Yeah, it's interesting the way that, like – and even Pat, like, himself, like, he – in the beginning, he's just like, don't do it, right? So, like, Pat and his mindset is, like, we're moving to this place to be chill. We're moving to this place to not do anything. We want to have just a normal little life. And, like, Courtney coming from California where she has her friend, it's, like, that California living to this, like, middle of bumblefuck nowhere. Um, what is it? Oh, what state? I don't even know what state they're in. It's Midwest. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, like, this, like, Pat seems like this slow, slow town vibe kind of person. It's, I was telling Christian, I feel like Luke Wilson is, like, our generation's Kevin Costner. Oh, okay, yeah. you know, wow, that's very apt. Like he's, it's just like he's literally the everyday man. Yeah, he is. He is the blank canvas that the movie puts a character on. So it's just like <laughs> he's like, wow, man, yeah, you gotta just, you gotta, you gotta get through it. You'll be okay. It's, <laughs> yeah. So um, as like so like, and that was a nice kind of. I think the reason that those two characters really work is because of their link together. So, like, Courtney's kind of, like, trying to figure out this stuff, and Pat's this, like, weird little anchor. And then as the show, once he starts transforming from that, I'm your stepdad, let's get things calm, to, like, I'm your mentor, let's get things going, then eventually it's, like, I'm your partner, let's fight together. So, like, that that's really where the show itself and that relationship doesn't really start getting interesting, I think, until Shiv Part 1 and 2 which is episode, what, six, seven, if I have the numbers correct. And, like, so the beginning part is feels kind of like a slog, like a little bit of a drag, but once they get together and you start seeing their dynamics playing out and, like, they're, like, you know, they're essentially their optimal, you know, dynamic, it's really cool. And I think that's, like, what makes it work. But otherwise, they fall very easily into these weird little tropes and it's, like... It's almost like they're the interesting characters because everyone else around them kind of seems very bland or boring. I think sometimes, like, just in a television show, you have to put that shine. You have to illuminate a lit- that much more. Uh, and the people that uh, they keep company with, I mean, they can be supporting characters and everything. But I think, yeah, you got to give, obviously, uh, certain people in a show a little bit more shine so that... It seems as though the, the rest of the cast, and correct me if I'm wrong, if you've seen this on this show, is kind of dimmed in comparison. Yeah, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. Especially uh, Pat's son, Mike. Uh, he is the worst. I, <laughs> if you've, anyone's read my reviews, you'll see me rant on Mike, because he's the most undeveloped character in a TV show I think ever created. Yeah, literally <laughs> literally his, his defining characteristic for 90% of the season is, I'm going to be playing video games. And I like Pop-Tarts. Pretty much. There's it's actually like, okay, that's great. there's actually one episode where he does a science fair project and his project is making a volcano out of candy and chocolate. Really? Like that's that's wow. the most interesting thing he does until like the end where he rams a villain with a car. Like you know what's like yes, that, that is dope. <laughs> wow. it, it's infuriating though because he's a fucking video game enthusiast and like loves technology. And that's you, he, Christian. What's up? And that's who you are. No, thanks. Wow. <laughs> Damn, that hurts. <laughs> Actually, to be honest, in, in if if I was a superhero, probably. Uh, <laughs> what is it? Um, no, but he, he doesn't do anything though. You'd think that he would have uh, he would have you know developed the uh, what's the word? He would have he would have made a cooler science fair project. That's all. Mm. So yeah. do you think he's more or less just in the grand scheme of things like a placeholder? 
Yeah, I mean, they're going to give him more to do later on. To be honest, it's just there wasn't enough time. There's a, This mm. is a really large ensemble cast. Yeah. Um, so the fact that, uh, you know, uh, Stargirl and Stripe, uh, you know, they get as much time as they do is actually pretty impressive because there's two, there's a lot of characters. Yeah, I think the issue is that, like, every other character kind of fulfills, like, a trope. Like, I guess, in a way, I would agree with you, it is placeholder. Because, like, okay, so Courtney's mom, who is Amy Smart, and I feel like that she gets underutilized in most of the season. Yeah. She is like event. Okay, so she's the mother of the super of like the superhero, right? So okay, if I tell you there's a mother of superhero, what's the next logical thing? Oh, eventually she's gonna tell her don't do this, right? So eventually she tells her don't do this, and it's a plot point. And then okay, so Pat has a son who's the stepbrother, and because Pat's bonding with Courtney is being ignored, so what do you think that stepbrother is gonna do? Oh, he's gonna be like you're stealing my dad. So it's like yeah, it's kind of. They, it's like the show the show takes a bunch of TV tropes and builds a foundation that just happens to be built in the right way that makes it enjoyable. Uh, now, one of the things about Stargirl is that it's really about families. Uh, what were your thoughts about using both superhero and supervillain legacies in the series? For instance, Stargirl slash Starman slash Pat, Shiv slash Dr. Ito, and the Brainwaves. Um, so... Yeah, like this this show is all about family. It's it's interesting because you see it, of course, with Pat and uh, Courtney, uh, but then you get see it in the supervillains mostly, which is kind of crazy and cool in a weird way. Um, so yeah, you um, Shiv and Doctor Ito, uh, the the daughter of of Doctor Ito, and their weird relationship and how she's being trained to be uh, uh, eventually an Injustice Society member, but kind of fails at it and is kind of like the the daughter that was kind of uh, always looked down upon because she never lived up to their potential, and then uh, Doctor Ito being the guy who who has made these crazy villains and legacies. It's really interesting seeing the dynamics of like the different ones. Probably the brainwaves are the most popular ones that everyone will be talking about because um, the father and the son are pretty pretty messed up and uh, and yeah. Uh, I don't know, like, I, I think they do it really good. And they, they do it by episodic uh, titles, too, which is kind of interesting. Oh, nice. A lot of, yeah, a lot of the, a lot of the episodes in, in Stargirl, they're not um, traditional in the sense that it's like, okay, here's your villain of the week. I thought that was yeah. the original format, but the more I, I got into covering it, the more I realized it's actually about the, the character of the week, their parents, who they are, yeah, or, and okay. the kind of legacy that they have uh, with them, uh, particularly with the villains. So it was interesting seeing um, the villains who run the city and then their children and what they were inheriting and how they became evil because of their shitty parenting. That's so. clever. I like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you I, think, Basan? I honestly, after a while, it kind of got a little bogged down for me. I felt like it was, it so it works, but I felt like there was too many. Like So there are a lot of parent-children uh, dynamics, and luckily not all of them turned into like, the father was supervillain and like the son was a supervillain, for example. Cause like the Injustice Society has like what, like five or six people in it. Mm-hmm. And there's definitely people who are gonna if they have a second season, which I think they got um renewed for, they're gonna develop into hero. But I, I felt it was too, I thought it was just a little too much to be honest with you. Like, I think the Stargirl and Stripes one was good because like it worked and there's different dynamic and they're not technically father and daughter. 
Brainwaves was interesting, but it was the most fucked up, and like you kind of benefit from that because they get rid of the other. That brainwave. was groundbreaking, dude. That that let me just throw that out there. The brainwave episode. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but no. like the brainwave episode, holy shit! Like yeah, we we have the villain, we have the child, the child being groomed to be the next villain. That's the normal trope. Yeah. And they fucking they flipped it on its everything. Yeah, uh, his dad was a complete piece of shit. He's the real up, villain in the series. They straight up killed that guy. It was fucking wild. He murdered his own son. Yeah, and apparently murdered his own wife. That's wow. just yeah for the sake of their evil nefarious plot. Which hey, it's villains. That's what we do. But here's the cool thing about this show is that they threw that on a twist too because their nefarious plot is the plot that we all kind of want. They Thanos the shit out of it. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, our evil plot is we're going to make, like, universal healthcare. We're going to end yeah. racism. And it's just like, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, but, like, the only way it works is through nefarious means, like, brain controlling the entire country. I don't know. That's yeah. great. It's definitely strange. I think, like, I mean, the good thing about, like, for example, the three ones we talked about, like, Pat and Stargirl, Dr. Aito and Shiv, and then the brainwaves, like, there was different dynamics. So at least yeah. it was switched up enough to be interesting. But... If the vibe of the city is like everyone here has, like for example, there is some people who are part of the Injustice League, or Justice Society, sorry, mm-hmm. and um, were like killed, but they have children. It's like okay, this is the children going to become a villain? Are they not going to become a villain? And it's just like I don't know. I, I kind of want more of. It just I don't want to have to sit and there be like okay, is this per- child going to become a villain? It's just, like for example, they already <laughs> set up things. Courtney has, like, a semi-love interest that is kind of avoided, but is potentially a love interest. Mm-hmm. And he is the son of... Icicle. Icicle. And Icicle is, like, this really weird kind of villain. I don't even know, I don't know how to explain. Icicle's motives are all over the place. Yeah. So it's like, that kid doesn't show anything, but does that mean the kid ha- is going to eventually become a villain? He might, because yeah. it looks like... I keep making this joke, and nobody laughs with me but i i find it funny i think icicle is an norwegian ice troll i think his what? his parents are ice trolls because they're all speaking nordic oh, and talking yeah. about ice troll mythology and i'm like that doesn't make any sense unless you're a fucking troll quite literally and they all have ice That's or funny. at least he has ice abilities i assume the sun does too but we'll see probably and then also like the fiddler her son oh, yeah. is that really awkward kid who like beats the shit out of the guy with the tuba so yeah, like and so he i mean beats the shit out of the guy with the tuba <laughs> Because he's a fan geek. Yeah, the tuba, the tuba, right? Yeah, yeah. Nice. The guy, guy tries to steal the tuba, and he like his mom's like, "You should become like a man and like, you know, defend yourself instead of being all upset." So like, the kid's just like, "I'm gonna, yeah." It's ah, so it's like, it works. <laughs> it's one of those things where like it works to a certain extent, but if it if like every villain of Stargirl is just a product of like a father, so, like a child parent thing, yeah, it's gonna at least for me, I think go bog down the whole like aesthetic. Like I want more. Bring, like, the Gambler is a very interesting villain who doesn't have, like, a major part. We'll see if he has a son, too. <laughs> uh, if he has a son, I'll be so upset. I, I'd be happy. I think the, the child thing works because it makes it families, and then it per, it fits perfectly for CW, which is exactly where it's going. Yeah. So I guess, yeah. Ito and Shiv are, are interesting because, like, Ito definitely has a stronger background. It's so, like, there's definitely stuff going on that we don't know about that wasn't touched upon. And Shiv just seems like she's insane. But also, they, they, she kills him, right? Yeah, she kills him. But yeah, so. he's he's like, you know, he's one of those typical villains who could come back. He's like Ray Shaw Ghoul in a sense. Oh, so, okay. Because, yeah. like, he, he's experimented on himself so many times. It wouldn't surprise me if they brought him back. Um, also, uh, I didn't know this. Shiv and, and Stargirl are, like, rivals, hardcore rivals. 
I didn't know that either. Which is a big reason that everyone stresses it in the, the comics and stuff, or in the show. Yeah, so... Yeah, uh, this show also addresses some adult issues such as sexting, abusive parents, and bullying. What dramatic teen moments stuck out to you and the most and why? Oof. We probably have the same answer, I think, Christian, but you go first. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> okay, I I liked the sexting episode with uh, with Yolanda a lot because that is a real issue I think people, people deal with, especially teens nowadays. Mm. Uh, to, to give you the heads up, uh, basically, um, Yolanda sends uh, naked pictures of herself to a guy that she's very much like dating and in love with, mm-hmm. and um, he ends up being kind of the asshole of the show, who's also coincidentally Brainwave Junior, um, because families always are villains in this, uh, and uh, and like yeah, so um, he ends up leaking them online. I think with some of uh, partially motivated by um, Shiv, uh, Cindy her character but like for the most part he does it to be a dick and then she kind of gets her reputation ruined she was like gonna be valley victorian one of the smartest girls in the school uh, class president if i remember correctly and then yeah. like everything in her life gets fucked because of this uh but they they address that like how parents would deal with you know having your kid be slut shamed across the board mm-hmm. especially religious parents yeah uh, and then um they they make it so that it's not it doesn't have that happy cookie cutter ending. It's like things are kind of messed up and you try to learn to forgive somebody, but you don't really like it. It, it ends on a note where it's not just, you know, the happy family, you know, uh, everything works out in the end. Cause it doesn't. And I would think, I, yeah, I, that's more reflective of the real world itself. I mean, which not, is why I, everything's going to end in a half an hour or an hour. Exactly. Just like with a pretty little bow tied onto it. Yeah. So th- that's why I thought it was really powerful that they, they addressed that issue or that episode. So, yeah, and that was definitely my – that was the thing that stood out to me to most, actually. Um, I thought it was very brave for him to do that, to jump on that topic and kind of make it a aspect of the character. And it really plays a part in her growth in a lot of ways. But I feel that they did cheapen it by – okay, so the breakdown essentially is that – so she's at home. She's like getting ready to like – for the next day to go give her speech for running for class president. And then uh, her boyfriend is just like, hey, man, send me something sexy. And she's like, nah. And he's like, oh, come on. I love you. You know, being a terrible, terrible <laughs> yeah, guy. Of course. And she likes, you know what? I'll do it because I love him, this and that. And then the way they show the breakdown is that he's showing – so he's showing his guy friends. Yeah. So he's showing yeah. like four, three, four guys. But then Shiv Cindy comes, takes his phone and texts it to herself. And then she's the one who spreads it to everyone in the school. So it's like – the way they did it is like, yeah, he's a dick, and like Courtney flat out says, like, oh, it's his fault. But they kind of like let him save face, as in, like, oh, I wasn't gonna like do it to the school; I was just gonna show it to my friends. And because mm-hmm. like it's Cindy who's the one who takes it and amplifies it, I feel like they kind of take that heat that mm. Henry should have gotten, and they give it towards Cindy to make her worse. I agree, but I feel like that's a convenient plot because we find out mid-season that Cindy is intentionally manipulative because not only is she queen bee bitch, mm. she's also older than we think she is and she's like been working for the ISA this whole time, including running the high school, really. So maybe they were... Like any any weird like high school dramatic thing you can kind of that Cindy is attached to, you can kind of say maybe she was doing this to help gather in data or keep a status quo, per se. Because her, her job was to make sure that Brainwave Jr. <laughs> was uh, okay, and if his powers ever manifested, to tell them, right? So Yeah, I, I get it. It's just, like, I feel that... It's convenient. 
it's very convenient, and also I think it found, kind of like shifts the blame towards her. Where totally. like, where like he did, like you know, he did a messed up thing. Like that is yeah. such an yeah, in a lot of ways that's also an abusive thing. So it's oh, like, but it's totally yeah. a form of abuse of sorts. I will say though that he does get his comeuppance. He literally dies. He does. But, he, but <laughs> that's the, the ultimate thing, form of comeuppance from his father. Well, I mean, he does. But who also, he was trying to redeem and save. But the thing is, like that Henry Henry is this weird character where he's like. He's constantly towing the line between, like, am I going to go... He's the guy who might go down the villain path or might go down the hero path. So they're like, oh, he's this Link. Yeah, we, we should get him on our side because he'll help us do this. Or he should do... Like, both... He's like this... He's he's like a MacGuffin. He's like a MacGuffin almost. Yeah. Essentially, he's like a living embodiment of MacGuffin because, like, Stargirl's like, we need him on our side to battle his father. And, and then uh, Yolanda's like, no. Like, this guy ruined my life. Like, fuck him. And then, like, Brainwave's like, oh, we need him on our side because we can double the amplifying power and, like, do this thing well. And it's like, so he's like, oh, I feel like Henry, I know characters in real life are, like, more gray and stuff like that. But I feel like Henry should have been, I would have rather seen another person possibly go through that instead of him. Because, like, I don't want to have any sympathy for him. Because... I mean, I think that's good storytelling, though, personally, man. Because, like, I also wanted him to get his comeuppance, but by the end of it, I felt really bad for the kid. And it takes a lot for me to to feel like you need redemption. Because he he really did try to be the hero, or the good person in the end. And he was killed for it. Like, brutally killed for it. In a show that's very happy. That's why I was like, what the fuck just happened? (laughs) I'm I'm Team Yolanda, man. I'm sorry. Oh, fair enough. I mean, Yolanda got her revenge too, though. She fucking murdered the dad. That was that's going to be a huge issue in season two. Wow, she murdered somebody. Good for her. She should have. I'm sorry. Listen, I'm I do (laughs) I do I do not I do not condone violence, and I do not condone murder, especially when it comes to superheroes. But that was a situation where it's like literally the world is at stake, and you kind of had to make. She at the end of the day, Brainwave is someone who has mastered tele. Yeah, he's really telepathy. Good. He's yeah. mastered telepathy to the point where he's literally like killing adults. Like they don't say it, Afra, but they said a quarter of the adults are going to uh, battle back against his plan and die. Yeah, and like we see one suffering from it. So like he's literally killing people, and we've seen Stargirl face him, have trouble. It was only the staff that saved him. And like, listen, dude, Yolanda did what she needed to do. That's <laughs> only like he's sometimes you got to cut a bitch. Yeah. Unfortunately, man, that situation that happened, you know, and it, listen, <laughs> that scene was more understandable than like the Man of Steel scene where he had to kill. Um, oh, oh yeah, I agree. Yeah. So it's like you know, honestly, if it's gonna deal, if it's any issue that comes from it, unless you'll, unless Yolanda becomes a straight killer, like a like an antihero, then like I think it's fine. Honestly, like I feel like she's in the right, which would be really weird if that's the direction to go with. I don't know. That's a mm-hmm. wild story. We'll find out next season. But, uh, yeah, Star- Stargirl, really great show overall. Uh, yeah, it does Unsurprising twists. Uh, I think if you want the traditional superhero, um, it's 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 got it, you know. It's the apple pie of superheroes, I guess. Ooh, I like it. that. I like yeah. that. But the apple pie of superheroes. But it's heated up with some whipped cream served with a little drink. Just throw it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah just, to, just to throw it off just a little bit. Got maybe a little a la mode, a little bit of ice cream on the side, something like that. <laughs> totally works. Yeah. Um, and uh, I want to ask you both really quickly. Um, do you truly believe, and I know the answer to this already, that it's it's really found its home on the CW? 
Absolutely. Oh, hands down. I would have if you if I didn't have D, a DC Universe, I would have never guessed it was on DC Universe. Like it's such a it's such a CW show. It's ridiculous. A hundred percent. And that's a good thing. That's a positive thing, correct? Because I, I think that CW's handled their DC shows amazingly. Um, we differ in opinion in this. Um, yeah, I mean, of course. I mean, not <laughs> yeah. I, maybe not amazingly, but they do have more of a reverence, I think, towards uh, DC, the just the property itself. I know what Bassam's going to say, but for my take <laughs> yeah. is, I love I love the early seasons of all their adaptations. I followed those. Over time, I got exhausted though. Um, so I, I like them, but I know who their target demographic is. So, which is, you know, young teenage girls, the so Riverdale, like, right. the Riverdale crowd. Yeah, basically. So like, I think Stargirl fits perfectly in that and I'm going to watch the next season and maybe end at season three. <laughs> I know that's mean, but it's kind of the pattern I see with CW. You can only go so many seasons. I mean, well, super, any properly done superhero story can go on for 10 plus seasons. If you're being completely honest, <laughs> it's a which, lot, but I mean, listen, bill. Smallville, Smallville, well, Smallville did it terribly, but they did go up to ten seasons. But mm. yeah, this is the first time a CW show has interested me enough to want to keep watching it. Hooray! So, second on our docket is Doom Patrol. Whose narrative in the Doom Patrol do you find the most intriguing, most relatable? Do you guys have any favorite characters? So I'll start off with this. Uh, so, just a quick backstory on myself: I am a massive Doom Patrol fan. When the first season came out, I loved it. I binged it. I lived it. And when it was announced for a second season, it was, like, a, such a gift for me. So, like, the second season was awesome. Um, so, as, as opposed, when it comes to the actual characters, I think that over the, the past two seasons, mm-hmm. but specifically the second season, the character who was the most intriguing to me is actually Larry Trainer. Ooh, yeah. So Larry Trainer was a character who, when you're watching the first season, he's not the flashiest, yeah. but it's a mixture of the amazing Doom Patrol writing room mm. and Matt Bomer and uh, Matthew Zuck. Like, their combination as a voice and on-set performer, respectively, they really narrowed down this, like, very human tale. Yeah. And it's like... Watching a man covered in band-aids, feeling so much emotion and so much sympathy that, like, his progression is so, so much fun to watch and so intriguing because it's not the craziest story. I mean, there's other people who carry way more crazier stories, mm. but him himself is just such, it's so much fun to watch. I agree. Yeah, it really is. Um, as it comes to, like, the mo- most relatable I think that I uh, I think Cyborg for me is the most relatable, and I, I'm obviously I'm not I'm not a I'm not a cybernetic man trying to be a part of the Justice League, but I think it's the idea of like wanting to step up and be this like this figure this hero this do gooder wanting to do what's right and trying to set yourself apart from the environment around you is what really makes him intriguing and him having to force to, to being forced to look at these elements of his life and kind of like deal with them. It's, he's really strong in the first season and second season. He has some good stuff, but I think it suffers a bit in the second season, but he's probably the most relatable story. And my favorite, I think has to be, I think cliff. Is I my think we're all, we would all say that. Actually, mine's different. Okay. Okay. Continue, continue. All right. well, I like, actually, I like cliff too. 
Actually, oh, you know what? I think Dorothy. Oh, okay. Dorth, Dor- Interesting choice. Why Dorothy? Because like, people have been praising her a lot this season. Well, first of all, Abigail Sapiro is a phenomenal actress. This is her first ever film work. She's done theater. She does an amazing job portraying this innocence. And Dorothy is just so lovable. She's so sweet. She means so. Well. She means well. She wants to enjoy the world. She's this bright and shining spot in every episode. And like my heart breaks for every time. Like I want to just hug her. I want to take care of her. I want to adopt her. I want to take her to the fair. I want to give her ice cream. She's just like this. Oh, I love her so much. It's between her and Cliff. Like Cliff is my favorite because he's such a ridiculous character. Yeah, he's so, a like, bit of, <laughs> he, he's so over the top, but it's so great um, though. Just I, because he's one of those. To me, he's one of those characters where, like, his honesty sh- can't help but shine through exactly. all the time. Uh, what about yours, Christian? Mine is, I have the same answer for all three, and that's Crazy Jane is my favorite character. I was going to say, I, Jane's probably, uh, to me, the most intriguing. I, I find her the most intriguing because I love the different multiple personalities. And also, as somebody who worked in mental health, I feel at mm-hmm. home yes. around somebody I, like I, her, I which is really wait, twisted. I knew you were going to say it was, like, really twisted, but it's like, oh, my God, yeah, I had people, like, a lot of people that I've worked with that are kind of mm-hmm. like this. So it all, I guess that's why it also feels most relatable to me, because I'm nor- I'm used to being around somebody like her all the time, mm-hmm. albeit she's very unique, because, you know, superpowers come with those personalities. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of all that, though, she she's hands down my favorite. I like her different story arcs. I love the revelation for the season finale, which I guess oh, I won't touch just yet. Or I sh- do, do I touch it? Do I not touch you it? Go ahead. You know what? If you want to... Let's let let's get this train rolling. Oh, God. So like in the last episode, um, you find out that the 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 dominant the new dominant personality who's trying to take Jane's role as the the lead head figure personality, which is the one who guides the you know the primary yeah, the mm-hmm. primary primary. Um, that she she the original her was in a relationship and it was a really heartwarming one, but one where um, her partner wanted to explore uh open relationship like ah. and the sense that like Not he wanted to have open, like an orgy yeah. it's fucking crazy and there was no the thing is is like there was no setup or build up to it and like and that's actually a good thing because it, it shows you her reactions to it are just as jarring as the audiences and she's just yeah. like what the fuck and um and you find out that because of trying to do this because of somebody she loves and being penetrated by a complete stranger mm-hmm. it completely reenacted the trauma that fucked her up as a child yeah. uh, her character oh, we all know yeah her character was like a little girl who was like raped by her father yep That's, and yeah. like f- fucked up so like mm-hmm. this just this just completely shattered her even more so much so that the alternate that personality ended up killing themselves which is a huge revelation because that means that the person that we've been watching isn't the real her what's the I forget Miranda Miranda, thank you. Yeah. yeah, Miranda isn't the real Miranda, which means that mm-hmm. we've been watching a doppelganger Miranda this whole time, which is a huge fucking twist yeah. for yeah. season three. And I'm really excited to see where that goes. But, like, that story really broke my heart, on top of Jane's original story as well. Mm-hmm. Plus, I've got to be honest, having multiple powers with different personalities is kind of cool. That is you can see it manifest. Cool. Yeah, you mm-hmm. can see it manifest with each one, too. So. I think yeah, that's Jane... also reflected in the writing itself, because to have to write for m- multiple characters in one person, to to have to have that switch on a dime is yeah. pretty impressive. Uh, she's a fucking amazing actress. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Easily. Di- easily. Diane Guerrero is the is the MVP 
of mm-hmm. Doom Patrol. Like Dorothy, uh, uh, Abigail uh, Shapiro for Dorothy is like the shining star of the second season, but Diane Guerrero, every week, every episode, puts in amazing performance. Like watching her is a masterclass on acting. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. seeing That's, someone. I didn't expect this from somebody weeks. from uh, Orange Is the New Black too. Like I liked her character there too, but that was not as three dimensional as this. This is much more intense. Yeah, they really. She really brought Crazy Jane to life, and it's just like. It's just phenomenal, especially in oh my god, dude! She's just she was such a pleasure to watch. Like it, covering this show, really, really just brought up the amazing aspects of like seeing her every week. It was a treat, like seeing her, and it's like, and at some point, I actually, it got a little bit like, I actually took a little bit for granted just how amazing she is as an actress, and I had to like really sit down and like think about it every week. I'm like, she did this. She was able to switch from this mode of this motion. She had to be able to do this and that, and it was just phenomenal she definitely needs to get all the praise i would say uh really quickly my favorite still is cliff the most intriguing is jane and the most relatable um i just think for just a heartwarming story is probably larry because he seems the most i don't want to say the most human because they all have a humanity to them uh but i would say definitely like just larry just the 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 wanting to be a big ball of love but like still sort of uh, you have reservations about just showing somebody sometimes i think we we've kind of all been there at times yeah. where it's kind of like we we sink into ourselves and it, it's it's technically we poison our own well so at the sake of our happiness and the larry one um from the sea definitely i would say uh Francis patrol is probably it always brings me to tears at the end I think it will bring any person to tears mm-hmm. and uh, it's funny because I was watching uh, react videos of um, people reacting to that episode and there was like one where it was like five guys and they get you could see they're getting misty eyed but they, they're not allowing themselves to release in terms of emotion so you could like hear sniffles and you could see the wiping of eyes, but it's like, I'm not crying, you're crying. And it's like <laughs> and it's like that story will get anybody just because it's such a it's such a beautiful ultimately ends beautiful too. And it's finding that inner peace finally yeah. within you. Um Doom Patrol's aesthetics are unique. What about the series makes it stand out to you? I mean this I could probably I can probably do my own podcast just about this topic, but I think what it really comes down to is that Doom Patrol, it has such a unique character to it. And in the show itself, it, the like aesthetically, visually, it kind of reminds me of this like 1920s, 1950s kind mm. of structure to like the product, like like the houses, yes. the, the mezzanine, like mm-hmm. the lighting has this mix of like modern... And it's old school, kind of like Borders Watchmen, like color palette. It's really this weird kind of aesthetic. Mm-hmm. It's timeless. Yeah, yes. it is really timeless. And also it's just that it, it's like there's so many, like e- either like a beautiful scene. It's just like composed well framing wise. Yeah, they block the way- those things really, really well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or they'll put some ridiculous visual in it that just baffles like. Uh, in the first season, there's, I mean, there's carnivorous, carnivorous butts. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. And then there's, oh, yeah. and then there's a, a giant roach making out the giant mouse. 
and mm-hmm. like you know season two is just these crazy scenes and oh it's just it's beautiful like as a show itself mm-hmm. it's very rare that you watch an episode that something that's not appealing or not visually fun I is agree. in front of your face I mean, especially with dorothy's imaginary friends in season two i mean oh my god just between manny and um and the the spider i'm forgetting his name and then candle maker it's just insane i agree uh, for me, I'm just gonna throw what my favorite aesthetic from the series thus far is also my favorite character, which is uh, Mr. Nobody. Ooh, yes. Everything which bent reality just literally messed with my head, and like yeah. I, I th- I, that's like my, my big selling point to the series for season one is like you have to watch it really. Yes, the show is amazing and the aesthetics and the characters. Mr. Nobody is like a weird character that breaks all rules of storytelling. Oh, which easily. is why it's fucking incredible to, for me at least. But yeah. So uh, anything involving him fucking with your head was always, yeah. like, my favorite aesthetic. I'm going to say, whenever he, I see him on screen, I'm like, yes! Yes, I want to see more of you, Alan Tudyk. Yes. Yeah. First of all, bang-up job, as always. I love that actor so much. He's so great in whatever he does. Yeah. And uh, this, when Mr. Nobody comes on, I'm like, thank you for rewarding me this. Yeah. This but, like, so I, nice. I just... I love the uh there was one scene uh where it's like hot diggity dong diggity mm. boom what you do to me that song just goes on repeat mm-hmm. and you see yeah. these people like I think they start seeing police officers as like as piñatas or the police officers yeah. become piñatas yeah. and they destroy and devour them. Yeah. Uh the part that really disturbs me about that scene is did the police officers actually become piñatas or did those humans just murderly murder and I completely tear to pieces a, a real person? I, personally, I think um I don't know if you agree Bassam, but I think that uh they just saw him as that. It kind of reminded me of like there's this I think it was the last episode in MASH where uh, uh Hawkeye Pierce uh like he's on a, bu- a bus with like um a bunch of civilians and the the enemy is approaching and there's a baby crying but in his mind uh, from just all that he's been uh, all that he's seen around him considers the baby a chicken he's just envisioning the baby as a chicken he keeps saying shut that chicken up shut that chicken up and ultimately they kill a baby in that episode this is the last episode but the thing is because of his war torn brain he's thinking of the baby he's going into like survival mode at that point and so that's that's what I kind of figured the whole pinata thing was. It's kind of like he just ultimately what's going on is a lot of carnage in that scene, but the people are seeing the cops as pinatas. Yeah, and uh, again, it's beautiful because it's visually they twist it and mm-hmm. it's much darker. I don't know. They I I love Doom Patrol for that reason. Yeah, Doom Patrol is it's it's like such a beautiful way that they tell the stories, and I think yeah, I think it definitely is something of like some mental manipulation mm-hmm. it's it really plays with your perspective and the perspective of the characters and it's something they also do really well in season two it's like even when i mean season one has a lot of weird manipulation because of how doctor how, sorry doctor jeez mm-hmm. how mr how mr nobody really kind of works yeah but you see remnants of that in season two um vic actually has like a like like a a, like a PTSD moment and mm. leaves the manor to go to Detroit for a little bit because of just the slight thing reminding him of Mr. Nobody has to like force him to leave. Yeah. Okay. 
it's really it's very strange. Um, speaking of Mister Nobody, even though he's not directly seen, there is an episode in season two where they they end up going into the painting. The painting gets back to them. Oh, okay, and, okay. Or, or they end up having to go like inside the painting, and it has all these little like Easter eggs and callbacks to season. Ooh. It's a callback to season one. It's okay. an Easter egg. I mean. I, I don't even know if you consider it Easter egg because it's very blatant. Mm-hmm. It's a reference to Teen Titans Go, and then nice. a reference to Harley Quinn, and a reference to DC Universe. <laughs> nice, nice, Always, nice, nice. Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. That's Doom Patrol is so sm- it's such a smart show. Mm-hmm. It seems like like the thing is, and this is what I want to get to ultimately uh, is: what do you think about the writing of Doom Patrol? How does it effectively deliver and reward the viewer itself? <laughs> it is. I mean. The writing for Doom Patrol is probably one of the best products I've seen recently. I to be honest completely with you. concur. Uh, the only thing that actually I think can compete with it is what we're going to talk about in our next segment. Yes, but but I mean for the the Doom Patrol writing room, which has their own Twitter called the Room Patrol. Really? It, yeah. Um, have to check they, them now. They are phenomenal. They balance i mean i if you read any of my reviews i gush about them every single time they really do a great job of balancing the absurd with mm-hmm. the intimate oh yes and um looking at well, season one was just a beautiful concoction of plot lines character studies this and that um they developed what i consider the classic what i think of is a classic doom patrol episode mm-hmm. and the first real example I feel like that that kind of like demonstrates this is the carnivorous carnivorous butt episode <laughs> because like it's such a ridiculous storyline that's met with this really intense emotional storyline and that comes up plenty of times in season two and with season two itself I think so they did a thing which a lot of TV shows are doing now which is drop it they dropped three episodes on the first day mm. and then they did yeah. it week by week for the rest of it but I think what really worked with Doom Patrol season two is that the first three episodes played out like a movie mm. there was individual storylines that really kind of finished these arcs and i think one of the best character arcs that pays off is rita mm. rita far in season two has a beautiful character arc that's great that shows her growth her becoming an individual her um meeting her potential and it kind of teeters off unfortunately towards a one like there's a episode that suffers it but it really comes back to like uh, fruition excuse me in the final that um they really did a great job developing each character and also giving us more of those classic doom patrol episodes sex patrol yes is everyone's <laughs> favorite essentially yeah, for, my favorite for great reasons and it also showcases one of the most important characters and that's danny the street yes i mean if if you want if you're gonna teach a writing class or show a a um, isolated incident or example of what great writing is. Mm-hmm. Danny the Danny Street Patrol. as a character yeah. because it's literally just the work of the writers. Yeah, Like the writers are... And if you watch Danny in any circumstance, you're able to capture their tone, mm-hmm. their emotions, yep. their anger, their personality, their choices. And there's no actor. There's no yeah. actor dictating Danny. It's purely it's literally a concoction. Words. Yeah, exactly. And that really is the best showcase of their ability as writers. Mm-hmm. And they do a great job, just like the next show we're going to talk about, mm-hmm. they do a great job of really rewarding you as a viewer. 
Oh, mm-hmm. completely concur. So yeah, it's it's beautiful. I would watch twenty seasons of Doom Patrol as long as that writing staff was the same. Uh, do you have a favorite episode, uh, Christian? For Doom Patrol? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, hold on, I I can't remember the exact number of it. Um, there was an episode. I think it was like the third or fourth episode in the first season where um, you see the heroes trying to take down Mr. Nobody. Mm-hmm. And then you realize that he kind of just has been fucking with them the entire time. Uh, I can't remember the name of it. Oh, but... so it's the it's like the, the penultimate episode, I think, right? Was it? I don't remember anymore. Are you talking about the one where they think they beat him, but they keep living the same day over and over again in the park? I think so. Yeah. That, I think, is like either second to last or last episode, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, that was probably my favorite because that that really fucked me up in terms of the twist. I was like, oh, uh, oh, mm-hmm. wow, yeah. Like, I, I like I like writing that does that. That takes conventions and 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 tropes and memes, not memes, but tropes, and and uh, and flips it on its head where it's like, oh, okay, like we know what to expect. We see it coming, and then the unexpected occurs. So that's my favorite type of thing. I would definitely say my personal favorite. Uh, it's so hard because Francis Patrol, like that, is like a heart wrenching episode. But like you're talking about writing, like that is one of those things where. You almost get lost uh, certain times, not only that episode, but just certain times during the series. You almost get lost in the absurdity of it all because you know that like there's a true blue humanity to it. And you just you at some point, like the, the writing gets just dramatic and you forget that you're watching superheroes. You're just watching just regular. And I don't mean that in a pejorative way, but like regular human stories being played out just because these people have certain abilities doesn't necessarily mean they don't have a soul. They they still feel, they still feel pain, and they go through all the emotions. Uh, I would say the most fun is Danny Patrol, personally, because it's, as the song would say, it's like, if you want to teach a master class on just like, and the funny thing, now that I think about it, we are three screenwriters. So we're actually yeah. talking about these shows in like a writing perspective as well. Uh, but Danny Patrol is just like, it was fun. Like it, for the first like couple of minutes, you're like, huh, what's going on? And then you catch wind of it really quickly. And it doesn't take more than a second for, I think most people to just be on board for the ride. Yeah. Yeah. And it's I, super I, cool. Cause, Cause it's yeah. like, it's an omniscient street. I love that episode so much. Yeah. And yeah, it, it was a great episode for pride as well. Mm-hmm. Know, so oh it yeah. It was just beautiful. So beautiful. No, definitely. I think also the great thing about uh, Doom Patrol is that even the absurd moments give you something, like some, you take away something from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one thing that was pretty cool about season two is that there was an episode in Sex Patrol, I mean, the Sex Patrol episode, where they kind of do a callback to the uh, the Flux Patrol or Danny's. I think it's Danny Patrol, where mm-hmm. uh, Flex ends Mentello. up giving yeah he yeah. ends up giving everyone an orgasm by accident. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that actually has a callback, and it really leads to an interesting development between uh, Rita and him. So it's like even these absurd moments, these strange mm-hmm. moments, have some way of kind of coming back and playing, like pay, being paid off. So it's just like it's it's just beautiful, man. Yeah. I, I really, agree. Yeah, yeah. And uh, just the characters. Let's just throw this this one quick thing. Uh, they're so fucking brilliantly written. Because uh, they're yes. all, even though they have special abilities, they're all dysfunctional in their own way. Flex mm-hmm. Mentalo is perfect. He's somebody who has psychic abilities, but only when he flexes his physical muscle. <laughs> yeah. 
I mean, come on. Who who thinks of that shit? <laughs> yeah. And it, that is, like, super out there. And it's funny because, like, most of their superpowers uh, have, like, a silliness to me to them. But, like, it's yeah. super cool, though. It's it, it doesn't make you think, oh, well, that's a silly power and that's that. Like, that's all she wrote. It's one of those things where, like, you have an – and they're all, I think uh, – uh, like, they, they correlate perfectly to the person and their backstory. Absolutely. I don't, I don't think anybody's superpower um, is just without reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's actually like that – there's a like the really important thing that you kind of forget about once you start getting into the, the real depths of season two – um, is that it's all because of um, I mean you find out in the season finale of season one that yeah. it's because of Niles mm-hmm. that's like the big reveal by, Doc, by Mr. Nobody is that like Niles is the reason that they're all experiencing these things mm-hmm. yep. and it's like a huge hit because like he's seen as this authority figure even mm-hmm. to Jane he kind of plays this father figure aspect and it's like another male in her life that's fucked her over or used her to his own advantage i agree and like yeah he really kind of puts those things into perspective of these powers that they get that's yeah it is tied to her backstories because they were forced mm-hmm. into these backstories yeah it's really me- it's really messed up it is mm-hmm. i i definitely want to take uh, the opportunity as well to say and i think uh you both would agree with me is that the beauty of this series as well thus far, of what I've seen, which is only season one, uh, is the fact that even though each person is their own individual, they work so well and they play so well off of each other as a team, too. It's not like you're just seeing a team, but each one's kind of like in their own element or it feels like they're in their own element. Sometimes they are, but a lot of times they just come together for the greater good. And they play, like, it, it's just like you have the den mother, which I would basically say is Rita. Uh, like, you have the petulant child, who you could either say sometimes is Jane, sometimes it's Cliff, depending, depending. Cliff means well. They all mean well, I believe. Uh, but it just the group dynamics of them is great. I think you guys could agree. Hundred percent, man. Like that's probably what really makes the show. Mm-hmm. Is you're right. Like everyone fulfills the particular group dynamic role, mm-hmm. and together as the Doom Patrol, it's quite funny when they actually do assemble to resolve an issue because it's usually very silly in nature, but oftentimes they do save the world. So. Yeah. yeah. Season, season two really kind of takes those and plays and throws them on their head and really plays around with them, and it's kind of like the beauty of it. Like you have these established characters. And you have this understanding of their role. And then when season two comes around, it's like, well, let's deconstruct all these different things. And let's present them in a different light that you think is throwing them off, but it's actually pushing them forward in progression. Oh, so it's, agreed. yeah, definitely. It's you, like, you're going to have a lot of fun exploring season two. Ooh, I, and, I'm um, going to start that tonight. Yes, nice. man. And the introduction of Dorothy really kind of, um, it refocuses the group dynamic because it's literally like it's like imagine it's like okay so you know like in sitcoms it's like you have a group of friends or something like that then all of a sudden like a pet or like a, like a something gets introduced and everyone's just like kind of thrown off the wall a little bit mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like you have this group dynamic that's been spending a season or so really trying to like figure out what's going on and they're finding a groove and then all of a sudden this new character comes in who kind of like redefines their whole world that's true first 
personally and literally, uh, you know, literally. <laughs> yeah, very so, much so. It's really interesting, and also, yeah, the fa- like we talked about Stargirl having family dynamics. This really pushes family dynamics. Yes, the se- it's like season two in particular. I think you got that on the on the head. Yeah. Yeah. So it's fun. I'm excited, man. I, season t- because of Corona, unfortunately, that they were not able to finish filming s- episode ten, oh. which was which is meant to be the actual season finale. Yeah. So season nine is like the kind of makeshift season finale, which is upsetting because like I know the fact I know that there's more and I can't see it, mm. and also we now have to wait for a confirmation of some sort of season three. I mean, more than likely, they'll give it a season three. I just, I worry what'll happen after. Because, like, now they're pushing it on on, uh, HBO Max. Yeah, HBO Max helped produce season two. So it probably will go in the same vein as um, Stargirl. How Stargirl was co-produced by CW and is now going to be exclusively CW. Mm. I think that's what will happen. I think HBO Max will fully absolve Doom Patrol and then just keep producing it with uh, Warner Brothers. Uh, that uh, really quickly, uh, what you mentioned about how the you said uh, there was supposed to be an episode ten, but episode nine is sort of like the uh, the the it stands in for the finale itself. It's the airsats, I suppose you can say, uh, finale and stuff. That kind of reminds me of Venture Brothers. One of the seasons they meant to do a finale, but for whatever reason they didn't, they couldn't get to it, uh, even though they really wanted to. So uh, what they ended with was the Airsats finale of it, and then what they did in in its stead was the next season, the first episode. I think was an hour in length, so that was supposed to be sort of like to tie things together too. So uh, who knows if they might do that? The only thing is that with Adventure Brothers, that's a half an hour, and they pushed it to an hour. Uh, this season, uh, this series itself, is an hour in length. About so. I mean, maybe they'll do, like, an overarching thing, like a two-episode arc. Well, on the positive side, because it's a streaming platform, mm-hmm. uh, both both HBO and uh, Max and, and uh, DC Universe, um, they could technically just run the episode as long as they want. So there wouldn't be a time restriction for mm. whatever the premiere would be. Oh, that's true. So, yeah. So on to the third one. Should we, like, just jump right into it, or should we, like, give a... Thank you, Doom Patrol thing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was going to say, thank you, Doom Patrol. Thank you, Stargirl, thus far. All those things. If you need need to take a breather, Rob, go ahead. Oh, no, I I go full steam ahead. I go go Jim Belushi. Not Jim Belushi. (laughs) I kind of don't want to cut this segment. (laughs) (laughs) Can I keep it? Can I keep it? Yeah, go ahead, guys. Awesome. All right, so... um, if any of you want to just ask me, because I cover for Harley Quinn. Yeah, so um, I, you know what? I'll take it. I'll take control of the questions now. You're the, you, you were the last person that uh, I dealt with. With the, yeah, with so Quinn. you know, I'll you know, what? I'll do it. Why not? Awesome. Okay, so so Harley Quinn. First of all, let's just let's just talk. Let's just do a quick thing about how amazing the show is. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, totally. Like, like see. I think season two was supposed to actually have a, a like a later release date, but they kind of bumped it up because of lack of content and all the issues. So season two was written and developed on a quicker schedule than people expected it to, and it really super, performed di- very well. Super impressive. Yeah. Super so impressive. Let's, just, let's just dive in, man. So like the great thing about Harley Quinn is they really take advantage of 
the universe of DC. Yeah. So you have, you know, we have Harley Quinn interacting with the Joker. We have Harley Quinn interacting with Poison Ivy, obviously. The mm-hmm. Legion of Doom. Um, the remnants of the Legion of Doom. Everyone, like, it's yes. just, these relationships are so much fun. Like, yeah. now you, t- I, you, guys, you guys tell me, what makes these relationships that Harley Quinn forms special? Uh, personally, I, I mean, initially when the season, the season one starts out, you have Harley Quinn uh, and the Joker. Now, the thing is that, for the most part... It's kind of like peanut butter and jelly. You can't really separate the two. And if you do, they don't taste as good for most comic fans. So I think it's one of those things where, like, you're expecting Harley Quinn and Joker. But the Joker fucks her over and fucks her over royally in the first fucking episode. Because through a concatenation of events, what happens ultimately ends up with Mr. J valuing Batman's life over Harley's. And that's kind of like, it's telling, but... All of us as comic book fans, even if you are just kind of like uh, a comic book fan uh, in fancy passing or, or fancy comic books, but only in passing, you could easily say that, like, given the chance, would he save Harley or would he save Batman? It's going to be Batman. Batman basically is his his will to live. And so that's the last straw for Harley and Harley breaks up. I mean, we had that with the last uh, with the movie Emancipation of Harley Quinn. And so she makes over her entire image. The thing is that she wants to go to the Legion of Doom. She wants to prove her merit and worth. The only thing that sucks, and she wants to run with the wolves. She wants to seat at that goddamn table. The only thing is that, what does she need first? She needs a crew. Now, Harley has always been kind of representative, uh, representative of a misfit of sorts. Hence why like, she's such a fan favorite. Everybody loves Harley. And I think kind of like Deadpool in the sense of she plays for both sides. She's an anti-hero of sorts, but not in the same sense as like Punisher, whereas Punisher is just like all like uh, bullets and gasoline. And that's it. With Harley, she's a, a bit more she's playful and she does mean well. That's the thing. She means completely well. Um, so it's one of those things where. We see her, we see a crew that she's assembled. Talk about crews and stuff like that. Um, she has a crew of misfits as well. Uh, so you have her, you have Poison Ivy, who is her bestie for life. Uh, mm-hmm. You have Clayface, also played by Alan Tudyk, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. You have King Shark, you have Dr. Psycho, who is pretty sociopathic when it comes down to it. Uh, you have Frank the Plant, who is Poison Ivy's, I don't want to say pet, of sorts, but he's her best friend and whatnot. And you got their landlord, Cyborgman, who's played by Jason Alexander, which is <laughs> yeah. great. It's funny because I was talking to Norton, who also covered uh, these things with me. By the way, uh, both Christian and uh, and Bassam had covered these as well with me. So, much like chef's kiss, bang up job, Thanks. you guys. Thank you. So, this is a nice uh, teamwork. Yeah, teamwork. Teamwork makes the dream work. There you go. We were the true Harley crew. Yeah, true Harley <laughs> crew. Got it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's one of those things where you have like a great cast, including including Kaylee Cuoco and Lake Bell, um, and Doctor Psycho is pretty much the one outlier of the group, even though he's in the group, and he is i think probably one of the funnier characters because he's such a fucking prick 
<laughs> I mean, the reason that he's conscripted into the group to begin with is because do any of you guys want to take this away? What does he do that? Oh, he says the word cunt. <laughs> Who does he call a cunt, though? A Wonder Woman. Yes. The woman that you can never call yeah. a cunt. The one person, you, <laughs> the one woman you do not want to piss off. Yeah. And I think that talking about turning things on its head, uh, this entire series, the humor itself, uh, turns things on its head. For, exi- for example, you have, uh, what's his face? Commissioner Gordon. He's no longer the paragon of justice. He is a desiccated husk of himself, of his former self. And I think that's one of the funniest things in the series. It's kind of depressing, but it is kind of funny, too. He's an alcoholic. Yeah, yeah. And, I, um, what's that? I, I was going to say, like, I, I find it really funny that not only is he an alcoholic, but he's kind of a failure of a, of a commissioner, or a yeah. man, I should say. Yeah, yeah, just a man in general. He's just, in the first season, completely given up. He's like, I don't give a shit what happens to Gotham. But the thing is that he still pines for the friendship of Batman. He's like, you're still my bestie, right? 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 And Batman's like, I got a job to do, man. Like, clean yourself up. Get yourself together. He's very needy. It's it's hilarious. He's a very And you're right. Needy. Because because it knows the trope so well, it does a really good job of playing mm-hmm. Oh, this plays tropes up so well. Uh, is there any particular i have to ask uh, both of you guys is there any particular character that you favor more than the others or you look towards seeing on screen uh christian you can go first (laughs) (laughs) uh sure uh so um i really like this show because harley is a woman who was scorned Mm -hmm. and so she cut the toxic from her life and uh is getting you know getting her shit together and I mm-hmm. think the characters that she takes along with her are very much in that same vein, which is why I I kind of like a lot of her crew, because they're all kind of similarly going through sort of reinvention. Of yeah, sorts. they have their own self-serving purposes. Like, they, there's a personal yeah. goal that they each want to accomplish. Exactly, which is why my favorite character, hands down, mm-hmm. is Clayface. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> the, nice. I want to be a thespian. I have so many abilities. I can change into any person or thing that I yeah. want. I can grow in size. I can do all these amazing things. But instead, he just chooses to be an actor. An actor. And, uh, yeah, and it's just that's just great. Because like I love a, a character that has so much complexity, but chooses the simplest thing. <laughs> I agree. You know, what's, you know what's so funny? My favorite character in the show is actually King Shark. Yes. Really? It's okay. So King Shark is like, first of all, King Shark is voiced by Ron Funchins, yep. and I have an affinity towards Ron Funchins. I love him, man. I love the guys. Like just hearing him talk is so. It just makes me yeah. so giddy. Mm-hmm. But King Shark is just this really weird. Like, it's like it's a ridiculous. Like looking at him, he's a ridiculous character because he's just a giant shark in a cardigan, essentially. Yeah. And he's like a pacifist, <laughs> even though he's literally a killer shark. Yep. Then you reveal all like they end up revealing all these like terrible things about him, like how he killed his brother because he smelt blood. Um, yeah. That he actually is the heir to an underwater kingdom, mm-hmm. and he like he's like such a voice of reason for the group. He yeah. is, yeah. But in the end of the day, ends up making the wrong decision, like making the kind of the bad decision about <laughs> marrying yeah. someone he doesn't know just to like, make his parents happy. Mm-hmm. It's like he's he's such a oh, it's like he's such a it's it. <laughs> Him and Clayface together are just so much fun. It's yeah. just amazing. I want to see, honestly, them in the third season, because I, I believe they're greenlit for a third season. I hope they are. I would be, I would be shocked if they didn't get a third I'd season. I'd be very shocked. I'd be too, super they're shocked. They're hyping this up a lot. So. Yeah. 
Uh, if they had just a standalone, just kind of like a standalone episode with just him and Clayface. I know they've kind of paired him off before, but uh, it's just one of those things where these work so well together. I would say, um, even though I love Harley, actually Harley Quinn would probably be my favorite. Um, I have the biggest affinity for Harley Quinn. She's so cool. And I like the fact that she ultimately wants to do well. I think it's one of those things, too, where uh, I've been in, personally, I've been in situations where it's kind of like you, even though you know better, sometimes you go towards, like, the person that you shouldn't be with. And it's just one of those things where, like, those per those people might not really treat you the best, but you just keep going there. And, there, like, there's, at some point, you need to break the chain. And I think that's what, like, that's why I like Harley Quinn in this series, because she ultimately wants to prove herself. She's like, you know what? I'm as good as everybody else. All I have to do is prove it to all of you guys, all of you douchebags running the whole city right now. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think Harley, I mean, obviously, without this, without her, the series wouldn't even be possible. I think mm -hmm. Harley Quinn is... Harley Quinn for a lot of people can be either just the, the the Joker love interest or this like you know like it's very it could be very polarizing where you see her but this show has done a really great job of taking expectations breaking them down yeah. reform reformatting them I mean to be honest with you and this might be very uh, blasphemous for people divisive that too I think that Kaylee Coco is my Harley Quinn oh. Get, get the like, fuck out! Uh, I mean, what? That's fine. Mar see, Margot Robbie does a great job, and she kills it. She's she's pretty much the redeeming quality of Suicide Squad, and but like, but the the amount of work and role and like nuance that Kaylee Cuoco has put on these past two seasons has like I cannot imagine Harley Quinn without that voice now. Okay, do you do you want to say something? I know you're like chopping at the bit to say something. <laughs> Arlene Sorkin, the original I, I was, fucking I, I was easily oh. gonna say Arlene Sorkin. Oh, like, that's a good point. <laughs> yeah, she invented the accent and the personality, yeah. man. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong; she retired like a long time ago. Now, Actually, did you ago, know that so. um, her actual character, just the character of Harley Quinn, was based on Arlene Sorkin because Paul Dini, uh, Paul Dini, yeah, Paul Dini was friends with her, good friends with her. So yeah. just the character of Harley Quinn, I mean, it's basically him and his uh, emotions in, in, uh, in Arlene Sorkin's character and cadence and, <laughs> and everything. But he actually based, like, all of that on Arlene Sorkin. And there's this one particular, cool. like, episode of Frasier that she was in that he was like, oh, okay. I immediately, like, I, I, I envision Harley Quinn in my head right now. So Arlene Sorkin has to be the only Harley. It's kind of like who's the only Joker? Now one could say, "Oh, you got uh, you got I Heath mean, Ledger, you got Jack yeah. Nicholson." I'm like Mark Hamill, dude. There's only well, one Joker. When it comes to the Joker aspect, I think it's a little bit different because Hamill is like the quintessential Joker, but he's also animated. There's or, so many, yeah, yeah, there's so yeah. many now. It's kind but of yeah, hard I, you kind of right. I, mean, I, did, I did forget about the show. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I will give Kaylee Cuoco credit, though. She did phenomenal. For oh. what it was. A lot of fans gave her shit, though, because she couldn't pull off the Brooklyn accent, which is it's stupid. It's sort of, I mean, the the Brooklyn accent, like, uh, personally, I think enough people gave Margot Robbie shit, too, because yeah, sometimes her Australian accent does kind of go to the, come to the surface a little bit. 
Um, I mean, Arlene Sorkin, hands down. Uh, but I will also back Bassam on this wholeheartedly. I will yeah. say for the work, as you said, I will co-sign to that. Uh, <laughs> for the work that she's put in these two seasons, especially like the one place where you really want to see, uh, there's an episode in season one. It's one of the uh, later episodes called Bensonhurst, where yeah. Harley actually goes to see her parents and so Bensonhurst, unless you're familiar with the tri-state area, you wouldn't know what that is. But Bensonhurst is deep, deep in Brooklyn. It's like deep in Brooklyn, I, I believe. And uh, it's just one of those things where, like, she tries to play it up. And for given that I don't think Kaylee is too familiar with accents too much, I think she did a fucking phenomenal job. I will say that. I will give her propers. It's dope, man. She's just awesome. <laughs> it's just like between her and Lake Bell as Poison Ivy, mm-hmm. it's just like so much fun, dude. It was super. It was so much fun. The addition of Kite Man added a great dynamic to mm-hmm. their whole everything. Oh yeah, and yeah. It's I just, also just have a huge Lake Bell crush. So. Oh yeah, Lake Bell's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Well, she's go- she was a supermodel. Yeah, well, she's she a comedian. Too. That's yeah. Yeah, well, but she's also just really funny. Yeah. Um, she's, she was in this movie with a voice, I think she's like in another world maybe, I don't huh. remember the name of it, but she's a voice actress in that, and it's like a comedy of the voice acting world, but it's pretty good. Yeah, yeah but it's like, the, it's it's just really testament to the show, and like, the show itself just has so much like humor, different types of humor, it's like, we know Gotham is like a, this developed world, but like, the show kind of just takes its own approach to portraying Gotham, giving it this weird character, we go to... Things like Gotham suburbs and all these different things. Yeah. It's like, what is your what for you guys? What's your favorite moment of the series, or if season one, two, however you want to do it? Like, what's your what are the favorite moments for you that stand out? This is gonna be awful. I'm just gonna do my yeah. Real quick. Go ahead. Ice vagina. Yes, that was a good one. <laughs> oh that was that was the moment. That okay, I just uh, it, would you mind giving it a little context? Uh, what is it? They, I mean, they needed help. to get into into um, Mr. Freeze's uh, ice hospital or fortress. I can't remember. Yeah, and uh, Harley has a flamethrower of some sort, mm-hmm. and they they carve an ice vagina. Yeah, she takes the to get in. She gets the flamethrower from fire, um, uh, fire, firefly, firefly. firefly yeah, because yeah. that's the only thing that can penetrate it. Penetrate. Oh, what now? The, you, the oh, and then the yeah. I forgot the king. Sh- the best part, the king shark line. Uh, Oh, it's like it's a vagina. Yeah. Oh, you meant a human vagina because yeah. <laughs> he's a shark. That's so he doesn't great. know what human vaginas look like. Anyway, that's my favorite scene in the series. It also tells you where my humor is. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, there's so many dick jokes made. Yeah. I'm happy to see a vagina joke made. So anyway, actually, um, for me, it because there like the jokes are numerable. It's just one of those series that like. There's joke after joke after joke. It actually does, and I've said this uh, to both you, uh, Bassam, and Christian, mm-hmm. and I hold steadfast to it. Uh, the, the series just upending tropes and making fun of them and making them being self-aware uh, reminds me a lot of the Venture Brothers, and the Venture Brothers hits very hard joke after joke after joke. Uh, that being said, uh, I will say one of my favorites actually sort of came after... Um, I'm trying to think when it was like oh well it's not really a joke it's more of like a through line but I loved um, uh, Kite Man first of all Kite Man's awesome <laughs> uh, hell yeah but uh, I, I loved uh, Kite Man's just weird random rivalry with a fucking condiment king 
Oh yeah! Oh my god! <sighs> first of all, for those of you not know, there literally was back in the day a Batman villain, a Batman villain mm-hmm. called Condiment King. What was his superpower? Basically, adorning your hot dog. That's pretty much literally what it was. <laughs> that was his superpower, and so yeah. uh, it's funny because it, it, I could uh, peg this to like a very specific moment. Because now, uh, like in the second season, uh, Poison Ivy and Kite Man, Chuck, if you will, uh, they've actually uh, announced, a, a la Instagram or something like that, their their upcoming nuptials, their their uh, affiance. And so, Kite Man's looking at his, uh, <laughs> he's looking at his cell phone. He's like, and he literally says, he's like, "Fucking dick," and she's like, "What?" And he's like, "Oh, well." Condiment King said, "Congratulations," <laughs> and she's like, "What's so wrong with that? Isn't he trying to be nice?" And he's like, "No, this is—he's—he's he's being sarcastic. This will not work." And eventually, it came down to this whole weird, stupid—but I'd say stupid in the best way possible—whole thing of like they both want to secure the same venue for their wedding, which is the old corn factory in Gotham. It's like what? <laughs> okay, that and the only reason for that was because he saw. Uh, I want to say it was Ron Howard's brother married there. So it goes like the humor goes deep and very referential. And sometimes you kind of have to like go on Wikipedia, kind of like the Venture Brothers. It's kind Mm -hmm. of like, all right, I don't get this joke. And then once you get the joke, you're like, okay, that's so cool. Um, In terms of just favorite moments, uh, period, I will definitely say that there are a few um, for me. And it's led up to this, up until the second season, because you see that Harley and Poison Ivy have, like, a really intimate friendship. And I I, I italicize intimate because it culminates in what I think both Christian and uh, I think Bassam also and I were kind of hoping for, because it's like a will-they-won't-they type of thing. And towards the last few episodes of the last season... It's kind of like they sleep together, but then Poison Ivy's regretful. And then they sleep together again. Then Poison Ivy's regretful. But all she wanted to know, all uh, Harley wanted to know is that her friend just loves her. Uh, Whether it be a platonic love or not. But the thing is that between them, and I've been in this situation before where it's like you're with friends. But you're like, we really can't be friends because if we can't be anything more, then it's almost it's going to be just a game of like cat and mouse type thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they ultimately and spoiler alert, huge spoiler alert in a kiss. And I would say that would be my favorite moment. That's the, the moment that kind of actually really made my heart swell. Oh, yeah. it's they really do a great job with the show and how they build off of things like Harley Quinn and Ivy don't kiss until the pit episode. This was number seven, uh, number seven of season two. So like, there's a whole season or so mm-hmm. where them as a romantic thing is kind of like we, we forget about it. They play, they build this beautiful friendship, mm-hmm. and then at some point they introduce this element and we start to see that things click. Yeah, it really rewards us for being viewers and constantly mm-hmm. being involved and like things you think wouldn't pay off end up paying off. Um, one of my favorite episodes actually is uh, Ivy's bachelorette party. Ooh, yes. In Themyscira. Yeah. Because it's this really weird, like, because like, that's when they first sleep together. Yep. So it develops this whole thing. 
Um, there's so many great aesthetics being in Themyscira. Yeah. And it's just like really putting their relationship on display and seeing Harley's vulnerability. You start, you figure out why Ivy is hesitant. There's just so many great aspects that play together with it. And my favorite moments. It's such a stupid moment. It is. It is a ridiculously stupid, minuscule moment. Yeah. But it it made me laugh so much. I played it over like five times. <laughs> okay. It is. So towards the end of the episode, you find. Okay. So clearly. The mascara is taken over by this one villain. Mm-hmm. Um, forget her name, but Eris. Her name yeah, is Eris. Eris. I couldn't find her anyway. I don't even know if she was created for the show. I think she might have been created. Um, but you find out she has hypnotized uh, um, the queen of the Hippolyta. Yeah. Which, I mean, it's obvious she's hypnotized. But Eris is doing this deal with Lex Luthor. Mm-hmm. So you find out Lex Luthor is trying to buy the mascara and make it into this resort thing. Oh, I know the, what you're going to say. I know what you're going to say. And the reason why Lex is not at the meeting, he's doing it over video call or Zoom, as we'd say nowadays, is because his little dog, little Lexi, is sick. <laughs> and little Lexi is a small, little, pathetic, like, chihuahua yeah. with a little bit of, like, with, with a hair patch on top of it that is reminiscent of the Gene Hackman uh, yeah. wigs yeah. from the Superman movies. Mm-hmm. And a dog just stares at the camera and goes, <laughs> that's his cough. <laughs> And it is the most pathetic, yeah. beautiful-sounding cough. Yeah. I, I, it popped me. I laughed yeah. so hard. And I had to keep playing over again. It was like, it's, but it's like Harley Quinn, just, it's all about the details of the show. It is. It's all about the stupid little details that really makes and builds up these shows. Like another great joke is that Dr. Psycho, when he kind of is revealed to be like the big baddie of the, of the second season, mm-hmm. um, him and the Riddler, who's working with him now, they're trying to. He's trying to contact Darkseid. He's like, "Do you have my number?" Oh, I have. I guess, oh, I have his number. Oh, yeah. He's going. He's going through his D's. He's yeah. like, oh, "I have D, doctor, D, doctor, doctor this, doctor. doctor this." And it's all. They're all like references to obscure Batman villains. Yeah. And at one point, he goes, "Doctor Robinowitz," and then Riddler goes, "Doctor Robinowitz, what's his power?" He's like, uh, "Skincare." He's my like. <laughs> he, he's my adult acne doctor. <laughs> And it's, like, such a stupid joke. And then they follow it up right afterwards with that Venture Brothers feel. Yeah. It's like, oh, oh, he's – I put him the dark side. And it's like, why would you put him the dark side? Yeah. There's no reason otherwise <laughs> to make him just come after the Ds. Yeah. Like, he literally made this ridiculous, obscure choice just to set up this past joke. It, and uh, yeah. and if, any, if any character would have came straight out of Venture Brothers, it's literally Dr. Psycho. It is. Oh, wholeheartedly, yeah. wholeheartedly. And the funny thing with that joke and – I love that joke too is because I actually that comes from I obviously didn't write the episode but I completely got that joke because I have enough like D's under my phone and so initially <laughs> yeah which just sounds weird but uh I I initially had like a like a shit ton of like D names so uh when I first uh was dating my girlfriend I put her as uh, Dr. Girlfriend and so nice. then we broke up for a while, and then I put her, put her as Doctor Ex Girlfriend. <laughs> so then, uh, like, I gained a, enough D's where I put her as the Doctor Ex Girlfriend, and I always forget <laughs> if I'm cycling through. Oh yeah, that's right, she's under T. Same thing happens with iTunes too. It's kind of like it's not Beatles like under B. It's the Beatles. So you got to go mm-hmm. through all of your thes in band names and shit like that. Which makes me upset as an editor because, like, if you've done any kind of categorization or alphabetization in any type of job, you never categorize the D. The, the, the that's TH. true. That, yeah, you that's never true. Categor- mm-hmm. So it's, it's insane. 
But yeah, um, so like we talked about these great moments and these great characters. Uh, but I know we touched upon some different like romantic development mm-hmm. and friendships. If you have any friendships or stuff we haven't talked about, great. We can talk into it. But like we definitely should focus on like um, the great abundance of like queer characters, gay characters, yes. LGBTQA characters. Mm-hmm. Like how important it is to see these developments in these type of shows. Oh, like it, how important is it yeah. to you guys? Uh, extremely wholeheartedly extremely i mean talk about like we're talking about this uh you got doom patrol and stuff and personally i and i don't know how you guys uh feel about this but i have very staunch opinions i think as much as i love the comic community i think they can be an attractable bunch at times i think Mm -hmm. that sometimes they're never satisfied or if I mean, you're, I don't think you're really going to complain about the comic community as a whole. Complain, it, it, I don't think you're going to see them complain about two women kissing. But when you have a, a gay character such as uh, Mr. Negative, then mm-hmm. – uh, or a doctor – is it um, Mr. Negative? Negative Man. Negative Man, sorry. Negative Man, yeah. yeah. Larry Trainer. Uh, yeah. But, I mean, it, sometimes they could be a little bit – a little testy at times. So with this, I think there should be uh, definitely more representation. Uh, I'm glad that stuff like Doom Patrol and Harley Quinn, they're taking the leap to do this. Uh, Harley Quinn... Stargirl, you're letting me down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think Harley Quinn, the beautiful thing about Harley Quinn uh, is that, honestly, they just, they just don't give a fuck what anybody thinks they yeah. will do exactly as they want as is their yeah. want to do and i think that that brashness is such kind of like and i think that's what the series sort of embodies as well this like punk ethos of like fuck you i'm gonna do what i want i don't give mm-hmm. a shit and so i think that's very important in this uh because I think that uh, there's the, there's such a dearth of representation, or there had been in the past. Now we're getting more, and that th- there's nothing that is so great about that than just getting more content like that. There you go, man. It's a really good point, and like you said, like that don't give a fuck attitude is something that's really makes Harley Quinn stand out, mm-hmm. especially in that one episode where they kind of make fun of the toxic fan base. Oh yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. which is so great. But just to throw it out there, they got their Snyder cut. Oh they yeah, did. <laughs> they did. They did. But Christian, how do you feel about the, the this like um, this push to to normalize these type of characters and build them up as more than just tropes? I thought you meant the, <laughs> how I feel about the Snyder. Yeah, yeah. Throw, throw, uh, you can throw the you can throw the the Snyder cut and the toxic fans in there as you top as you want. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it comes down to uh, the George Lucas issue, which is like when you release a thing, mm-hmm. it stops being yours at some point in time, no matter how much you want it to be yours. Still, yeah. Um, and so I I don't know, like I I'm not a fan of toxic fandoms at oh, all, especially no, as like, us as reviewers and writers. Um, but it, it's going to sound so awful saying this. It does help generate heat, though. Yeah. In terms of well, dialogue. trending topic. Yeah. Dialogue. It, it forces the dialogue because yeah. people will shoot their opinions, whether mm-hmm. or not they're the right opinions or wrong. It's like up to the individuals themselves. Yeah. But it, it gets people talking, which is kind of what I like about Harley. Of all the, sh- of all the shows on DC Universe, I think Harley Quinn definitely, I agree with you guys, did it the best uh, in terms of really forcing the, uh, the punkish approach mm-hmm. and the rebellious notion out there of, hey – this is how we're going to do things. And I think there's an important lesson to that, especially for the uh, 
LGBTQ community. Yeah, they've always yeah. been uh, punk. They've always been on the outskirts. Like, to me, they're the definition of punk. Because punk is, like, just as a culture on the outskirts, they're misunderstood, and they're fucking badass as hell. And so I kind of liken that community to just the punk community of, like, you guys are badasses, and you're doing it for yourself. Nobody else is going to help you. you got to do it for yourself. DIY all the way. Yeah, and it's cool because uh, Harley and Ivy, they come to this in an organic approach. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not it's not something which, like, we all thought was... We, we weren't even sure this was going to happen. We knew it happened in the comics, but we weren't sure it was going to happen in the show. Yeah. And the way that they, they found themselves in each other, it's kind of beautiful in a weird way. And I, I love it because of that. But I think it, it was a really groundbreaking and revolutionary approach. Especially uh, for television itself. Not even just animated yeah. television, but television. Definitely animated, but, like, hands down... I, I don't think I've ever seen this organic of a uh, a lesbian relationship kind of develop over time, you know? Oh, I agree. Or or I should say pan? I don't know what they are. But, I, yeah. I, I You know what? I don't know if they even have, like, a, a like they want to label it. It's kind of like, let's do what we do. And yeah, they are. They're yeah. just, they're they're just them. Yeah. yeah. They're just about love, baby. Yeah, that, that's all it comes down to. I mean, granted, I might smash somebody's head in or, like, just kill somebody right on the spot. But ultimately, I'm a loving person, and I think that's the ultimate takeaway from this series. It's all about love. That's all it yeah. is. Also, I, w- I just want to like give a shout out to the series for like just the fun characters that oh, they have. Yeah. Like Frank the Plant. Oh, is, he's amazing. Oh my god, JB Smooth comes yeah. in with like that, just like killing it, man. Yeah. Just like his place within the story, and also his just like um, that one episode where he just comes back to recap. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. that's happened yeah. so far, oh, and yeah. just be like, yeah, I tested both audiences. They're gonna <laughs> yeah. try to grab. It's just like, it's so meta, so just shits on everything. Yeah. Like the show is so dope. I honestly, I want to say that like, if there was um, like a Deadpool as we really, really know him now, if there will ever is there a dead there's not a deadpool comic out or, or uh, there's not a deadpool cartoon out right now that's kind of like as we sort of know him from the movies correct post deadpool movie no, no but okay. i believe they were trying to do a cuz i was going to say take fucking notice deadpool yeah <laughs> i will say take notice watch like just notice that this series is basically the way not even basically it is the way to do something like that that self-referential that Breaking the fourth wall at times. Yeah, honestly. So, you like should, Furiosa, <laughs> witness her. Mm, witness yes. Harley Quinn. Yes. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I would. If I was in charge with that, I wouldn't even make a Deadpool cartoon at this point because there's no way you're gonna, no way you're gonna shake off the um, the comparisons. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's Disney guys. They're gonna want that sweet, sweet, uh, yeah, that sweet that's money. True. That, sweet, <laughs> that sweet, sweet PG money. I yeah. I would only propose really, really quickly, uh, just with the like the dynamic between Harley and Ivy. Because you have, like, basically, like, the funny man, the straight person, the funny person, the straight person. If they were to do, and not that, like, this would actually gain traction, but I would hope so. I would propose that in this vein, in this very same vein, you would do, if they were to do a Deadpool thing, it would be Deadpool and Spider-Man. Yeah, that would be pretty Because Spider-Man cool. would be That'd more be of, like, the, the straight one, and Deadpool would be more of, like, the funny person. And you just kind of go from there. But this series, I just can't sing enough praises for it because it's just... I could wa- rewatch them. And if you guys want to catch this too, uh, you don't actually have to wait. Uh, it's on sci-fi, the first season, I believe. 
complete yeah. complete with like swear words in i think they still have i mean i know that when they aired it um they they had the swear words and which is why they had to air it kind of later later at night yeah, yeah. and they're also and then they're putting uh the whole thing on uh, hbo yeah now. nice so yeah it's great they did a great job with it um i i think a season three is only a matter of time yeah to be honest with you mm-hmm. to be honest i i can see it happening quicker than later because uh of covid we're in yeah. that time we're yeah. in that time yeah. so i guess when it comes to harley quinn we've pretty much talked about everything yeah. that we were set out to be so i guess just to some do some final thoughts guys either about each show or a specific show or about like how was your experience going through the dc universe content that we were so lucky to be able to cover like i'll start off with uh, you christian how did like what is your experience with these shows and what are some final thoughts uh, so all of these shows are going to be renewed, as far as I'm concerned, or continue on in some. Uh, let's say some form. They're, they're going to continue mm. more than likely. Uh, as for so, from my relationship with all of them are different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think of a quick way to say this. Harley Quinn, I love because of the wacky craziness. Doom Patrol was completely groundbreaking, and how you could do the superhero dynamic, and it was it was my favorite first season of all uh, the superheroes. Uh, team ups in in 2019, and then um, uh, Star Girl, which I'm covering now. Uh, it's 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 warm hearted enough where I kind of want to keep going. I like it a lot, and um, it it definitely changes things, especially towards the end, uh, where I would religiously follow it. And I think it gives us a warm hearted old school superhero approach, which we've been lacking in modern society and how crazy things have gotten. Uh, that said, as for DC Universe. Uh, it's been nothing but a fun ride covering their shows and content. Um, I remember uh, sending the message out to request for screeners and stuff to cover it for the work print and like really just showing that we genuinely cared about these mm. th- their materials and stuff. And because not only did we cover these three shows, but we've also written and talked about in the past um, uh, Young Justice and uh, Swamp Thing. Swamp Thing being my favorite of them, sadly being the one that got canceled yeah. first. Uh, so it's been an amazing journey, amazing ride. Um, thank you so much to the people behind uh, DC Universe for the app and for making really just great content. And whatever happens next, um, know that you have people that fucking love the shit that you guys have put out and everything about it. So, yeah. How about you, Rob? Give me your thoughts. Uh, my thoughts. Mm-hmm. I actually, uh, he kind of took the words out of my mouth, but I will say that um, Harley Quinn, definitely I recommend anybody see. It's one of those things where if you want just to laugh pretty pretty straightforward for a half an hour, then I mean and who doesn't want to laugh, especially in these times, then I would say give it give it a look. Uh Doom Patrol is one of those things where personally I would say uh whereas Harley Quinn is kind of like you could just toss it on and have a good time and you could be doing other stuff, but you could still very much enjoy it. It's enjoyable whether you pay 100% of attention or 50%. Doom Patrol, I would say uh, you have to pay 100% of attention to get the full scope of it because you really, it's that dense and rich that it, it's just such a good show. Uh, Serial, I haven't seen yet, uh, but I will say second season of Doom Patrol and Stargirl, I will definitely take note of within the next couple of weeks because it's kind of like i'm really not going out too many places so you know what i got my tv with me i got my computer that's it that's all i need um i will say that dc as a whole i think they're really stepping up their game 
Uh, Marvel, for the most part now, is just I just see the uh, MCU, and that's pretty much it. Uh, which is a good thing. I mean, I still like the Marvel movies and stuff like that, but I think DC is just knocking it out of the park when it comes to TV content. They're killing it with TV. And as somebody who uh, is really kind of like making their like making their way and steps in uh, writing for TV, I'm more interested in that than what Marvel has to offer. And plus, I think the 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 stories, the humanistic angle of the stories, are that much better. It might be a controversial opinion, but I I, I fucks with DC right now. That's my ultimate. That's my ultimate. There turn. you go. And um, I guess I'll give my quick thoughts. Uh, so I've been a DC Universe subscriber since the beginning. I signed up for the initial promo. I love the app. It's been such an amazing experience to like witness all the DC products and kind of really absorb them. You know, DC Universe doesn't really get enough credit for what it did as an app and the things that it gives people. And Doom Patrol was kind of the thing that sparked my love for it, you know? Like, Doom Patrol is the start of my romantic movie, where I like my romantic comedy, where I, I, found, I saw her across the room, you know? Like, it was, um, it was a dark time in my life, where like, I was alone, and I was in a new place, and Doom Patrol is something that kind of helped connect with me. It's a show about showing that people are broken. Yeah. We, we are broken people, mm-hmm. and heroes aren't defined by what is set out to be. And I think it's kind of something that's, reminiscent of a lot of the products you know like doom patrol is about like these different people we come from different walks of life we can be brought together we can step up beyond that we can do great things and um it was long form formatting that like a content that i really appreciated where harley quinn was just this amazing burst of just like we're having fun we're taking the things we're running with it we're going out of control we're really enjoying the different aspects of comic life and I think like each show kind of like represents a great stage of comics. Like Doom Patrol gives me that '90s comic height of grit and seriousness. Um, Harley Quinn is kind of like this like resurgence of comics. This kind of like let's go in whatever direction. Early 2000s, mid 2000s, like we can be crazy and batshit at one place, but we still all deal with some great like upcoming new trends in other place. And Star Girl's kind of like this classic like throwback. It's just like. Um, there was definitely points where watching a show where I kind of got these visions of like early 2000 action movies mm. where it's just like these like kind of corny CG, but these also like these one liners, these character tropes. It was like this remnant of the good old days, but in a fun way. So it's kind of like when you see like the like when you watch like the flashes meet, when you see like a Jay Garrick meet a Wally West meet a Bar- uh, like a Barry Allen, yeah. you know? It's like these three different generations of superheroes being kind of like met together. And I think that each show gives us a great little like taste everything. It's a little little appetizer, a little smorgasbord of, uh, you know, of different superhero palettes. And I love it. I love them all. DC, DC's killing it in this range and medium. So good for them. Well said. Thank you. And I think that's uh, I think that's been a great podcast. Yeah. I think we got yeah. we covered a lot. We talked about a lot of things. Covered a lot of ground. We did. Yeah. If you guys stuck with us to the end, we really appreciate you. Uh, we hope that the thing you take away from this is really take time to enjoy these shows. So 
Um, I believe all shows are available still on DC Universe, which mm-hmm. if you want to subscribe, we can only do it for the month to month now. It's $7 a month. If you have HBO Max, which is taking a huge majority of the library, Doom Patrol is there. Harley Quinn will eventually migrate to there. Stargirl is found also not just on DC Universe, but also on CW. So I definitely suggest exploring these different shows and really engaging and digesting these different DC content because it's awesome stuff that's being created. Support these superheroes, man. Support the superhero content. I always said that television is the perfect adaptation method for superheroes because like comics is where they're born and where they live and they breathe Mm -hmm. and TV shows really help do that serial justice whether it's episode by episode or beautifully told story arcs over seasons so definitely go support them Um, any signing off thoughts folks Uh, Christian start off any last words uh, that's kind of it. Like, I'm, I'm always, this is going to be weird, weird saying this. I'm a huge Marvel fan. <laughs> me, me, uh, promoting DC uh, is a that's big, great. big thing. That's rich. So I also find it ironic that I, you know, this all came from that, but yeah, yeah. Uh, that's great. so, um, yes, fully supportive, uh, DC, uh, universe and, and their, their products. Uh, still, still a Marvel fanboy <laughs> overall, though. But it's still like I loved it, and it, that's how amazing it is that even I can admit that it was a beautiful journey. And you should definitely check it out. I agree. How about you? Oh, and uh, also check us out too at theworkprint.com. Uh, yes, <laughs> definitely check us all three at the workprint. Um, I will say that uh, the beautiful thing about just all three of these things, uh, and just DC in general, I think there's like they promote. Uh, just it's sort of uh, your own journey, uh, like whether it's Doom Patrol or Harley Quinn or Stargirl, it's kind of like there's no half-baked autonomy to it. It's kind of like you are your own person. Now, you might be part of a team, but technically, like, you also have the power to kind of control your own destiny, and that's what I love. Although I still can't get over your Marvel thing. That's so Sorry. great. No, that's great. That's that was like the perfect moment. <laughs> well, you know, so we should probably also address, we don't realistically know if DC Universe is going to be a thing in, yeah. in a couple yeah. couple of months. That's kind of the bigger reason that I wanted to you know get us to do this one, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is why I'm happy that we got to say these final words. If it's not, you know, thank you guys again so much for everything that you've given us. And, uh, and yeah, yeah. Uh, that's kind of it. <laughs> yeah. I, well, yo, as as a uh, as a staunch Dark Horse fan, Ooh, yeah. I want to say no. I'm joking. I'm just making a Christian. <laughs> no, I love I love DC. I love Marvel. I love both of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but DC, when I grew up, I always grew up around like the, the stereotypical characters. But like just as they always do when it comes animated or original content, they really flesh out their their universe, their heroes, their villains, their everything in betweens. I love the app, I love the shows, and I had so much fun covering these shows and exploring them. So thank you once again. Thank you, everyone, for listening to us. Uh, please check out stuff at the work print. Uh, guys, give me your socials quick. Christian, give me your socials. My social security number? Because <laughs> yep. I can't do that on, over the podcast because that would be horrifying. All right, I got a pen and paper. Give me your socials right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's all take note. Uh, okay, uh, XN underscore Angelus on Instagram and Twitter and uh, Christian Angelus Writer on Facebook. Rob, give me yours. I am on Facebook, uh, Salvador Darling. I will spell that out because it's stupid. I oh love, I love my. <laughs> I'm sorry. I love my puns. 
but because uh, the Instagram is pun prehensile fail prehensile underscore fail on Instagram. In terms of my Facebook, uh, I will say really quickly. Just bring it up really quickly. Dead air. Dead air. Dead air. Yellow leather. Dead air. Dead air. Yeah. Dead air. Yellow leather. Red leather. Yellow leather. Red leather. <laughs> it's a callback. While... It's a callback to Doom Patrol. No, of course. Yeah. When, while he's looking that up, make sure that if you guys want to check out any of our coverages on the show, yeah. your best bet would go go to the workprint, theworkprint.com. Your best way to finding it is either going through our television section or you can go in our search engine and type in either of the show's names. Yes. All the appropriate articles should come out. If you Google workprint and then the shows, there's things you'll be able to come up there as well. Yep. Definitely check out the great content. We're always trying to do something weekly. Mm -hmm. Rob has some great stuff that is uh, he's currently covering. Yep. I may destroy you, an HBO show that's getting critical acclaim and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. uh, Christian just went through an extensive recap of Umbrella Academy. Go support and uh, yep. you know take his hard work and really enjoy it. Um, I just finished Doom Patrol and I will be dying in my uh, nice. as uh, eventually I will be resurrected and do something on the site. Or you could just admire my pretty social media posts that I do every <laughs> once in a while for the site. Oh, they're always great. Uh, did you so, find the, the Facebook stuff? Yeah, Rob? I got it. I got it. Uh, so it's uh, facebook.com slash Salvador, as in like Salvador Dali. Salvador, D-A-H-L-I-N-G. Okay. Christian also has an artist page, Kristen Angeles, like the uh, last name, like the city. Yep. First name, like oh, the follower Chris, of Christ. Uh, Christian Angelus writer. I already promoted it. Thank you, though. <laughs> okay, I wasn't sure if you did or not. Just make sure. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. me, uh, you can find me at Instagram or Twitter at BKado, B-K-A-A-D-O. I don't have a Facebook page yet, so eventually you'll find that. But that's the best way to find me. And, yeah, thanks so much for listening, guys. Have a great day and enjoy DC.